Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Hi, I'm Olivia Lucardi, and you're listening to Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn. Time to get embarrassed with us. What is this? Hola. Uh, Mayamo. Mayamo. Diego. Diego. This Diego. is like this could be like the Spanish class. Uh, it could oh, be. <laughs> Trying to get learnt right now. Did you know I, I never took Spanish? I took only French, and the only other options were Russian. Dude, why oh, you, Russian why'd you not cool. take Russian? Yeah. This is a good <laughs> time to be a Russian speaker. You'll <laughs> never know. Welcome to Lost and Rewound. My name is Alan. And my name is Jimmy. <laughs> I'm Allison. We're coming to you this week from our official new location. We have left the old basement of the bike shop turned record store. Now it is, I have no idea what it's going to be, but we're gone. We're done there. And now we have a new space and a new studio, and it's beautiful. Thanks to Tom and Rob and the entire gang at Radio Free Brooklyn for putting us here in this gorgeous, gorgeous state of the art room. Yeah, we got an orange wall. It's pretty yeah, sweet. It's cool. And then it's the side. <laughs> Listen, the paint job's really nice, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, this orange wall is going to haunt my dreams. It, I like it. We would never have gotten this way were it not for the kind contributions of listeners like you. Like yes, you. yes, like you. So wow. if you would like to. <laughs> <laughs> like, you. like you and if you'd like to be one of those listeners that does keep the dream alive you can go to <laughs> radiofreebrooklyn.org slash pledge and you can donate to help this facility run smoothly or radiofreebrooklyn.org slash l-a-r if you want to personally donate to us because we're yeah. fancy sponsor our show we want to be fancier yeah we do <laughs> is it possible you don't really know but we have an hour to hopefully get one step further we well, have a great show for you this week planned so let us get started I invited my old chum, Nick Zimmerman, from high school onto the show to share some music with us that he made on his Macintosh in the early aughts. We talked about his musical upbringing growing up in the Hudson Valley, and in that discussion, we chatted a little about his kid brother. Martin Zimmerman is currently playing with the band Tobo, hosting Zimmerdown on 8-Ball Radio, and just in general being a cool motherfucker. Brooklyn resident, Bennington graduate, and collector of much rare music from around the world. We're lucky to have 
Martin Zimmerman now in the studio to join us to talk about what he has for this week on Lost and Rewound. Wow, look at that intro. I couldn't think of a third thing. Sorry. You're just, you're just one of the coolest people I've met. Thanks for having me. Happy that we made this happen. You got a chance to listen to that episode with your brother a while back in February, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. What do you remember from that episode other than Crime Beck, which will always be unforgettable in our hearts that whole era was kind of a time when he and i were really into making computer music at home and neither of us had a whole lot of musical background it was a time when we were both really into sampling and we just spent a lot of time trading music back and forth it wasn't anything that either of us shared with too many other people um we shared with a few close friends i don't know if it was i think it would be too much of a statement to call it outsider art quote unquote but it wasn't really promoted beyond our household and close circle of friends it's just cool hearing that stuff that he was doing back then because it reminded me of kind of a special time in my life which my brother's four years older than me so I think it was around the time when he was a senior in high school and I was in eighth grade and going into the, his early college years, my early high school years. Just really nostalgic listening back to that stuff. You were 14, so when you were 14, you were listening to this music that in some ways uh, was impressed upon you. But according to Nick, he was impressed upon your music taste, which is now significantly uh, much more diverse from everything I've been told. Yeah, I've, been, I've, I've branched out a lot since then. I definitely owe a lot of my early music taste to my brother Nick. And to your father, too. Also, your father. Yeah, also to my dad. He played a lot of stuff, a lot of diverse stuff for us, a lot of experimental stuff, a lot of international music, which I owe a lot of my broad interests to my father, Bill Zimmerman. Um, a lot of guys owe their broad interest to their dad. <laughs> <laughs> that is Sorry, very true. This is, this is why. Uh, this is why I sit over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he. Wow. I don't know. I can't remember if Nick mentioned this on that show, but our father was a, a diplomat kid. He grew up all over the world. His, all of his brothers were born in different countries. His parents were wow. very international. Cool. I didn't. I did not um, know this. A diplobrat is what they call it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like. Yeah, my, my dad's <laughs> brothers were born in Belgium and Peru, and his other brother, I think, was born in the States. I can't remember. And my dad was born in Thailand. My grandmother nice. was Cuban. My grandfather was German-American. So Crazy. So it was a lot of different influences. They were very worldly. My grandparents were very worldly people. So I think ultimately it kind of came from them. In high school, actually kind of around this time, my dad unearthed his old vinyl collection, and it was shortly before he left the Hudson Valley. And he knew he wasn't going to be able to take it with him, so he gifted it to us. And my brother wasn't too interested, but I was super into it. And it was around the time when I was finding my musical identity and kind of becoming really interested in music. So in turn, I got really interested in sampling. It was kind of a funny combination of being interested in more like sample-based instrumental hip-hop, but also like really deeply into IDM so-called IDM. I never was a fan of do that they, Do genre, they use but, that term anymore? Um, I don't know if they do, but like... EDM, uh, IDM, e this is pre, ODM. Pre, <laughs> Pre-EDM, like... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what acronyms like, mean. Like Warp Records <laughs> era, right? Right. Like, uh, like early nineties. I, I, I early immediately know like Square Pusher. Yeah, like, like Square Fortet Pusher, Plaid, like uh, Aphex Twin, Fortet, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I was pretty obsessed with Aphex Twin and Autechre at this point. 
So I think some of that kind of comes through a little bit in this stuff. At this time, like I wasn't really hanging out with that many people outside of school. I was kind of just like go home and make music on my early generation iMac. I was like kind of a hermit. I remember one time being away from my computer and like being upset. Like I was in such a mode back then. It was just a phase, I guess. But you haven't lost that ambition though. No, no, that. not at all. But it's just, it's different. It's much more collaborative now. This stuff that we're focusing on today was right around the time I started playing guitar, but couldn't really play guitar yet. That's my main instrument yeah. now. When, but... when did you pick that up? Uh, I think I started when I was 13, got pretty into it when I was like 15. I started taking it more seriously. And the stuff that we're hearing today, I think, is mostly from when I was like 14, 13, 14, maybe some 15. Yeah. So it was like around the same time, but I never really integrated the guitar world. My musical interests really into Autechre and Aphex Twin, going back a little bit, really into craft work but also back and older older stuff too like when i was 15 i was obsessed with Jimi hendrix and <laughs> so it was like i had those guitar influences but didn't know how to incorporate that into this type of music i don't remember how it began exactly my brother nick got a cracked copy of this program called reason which was new at the time we mm -hmm. had reason these are all made on reason one now it's up to reason i i don't know I, the last one i was using was reason seven but i know they've they've updated it since then I remember one of my first CDs I ever bought was Aphex Twin, one of the analog bubble baths, um, which is uh, one of his like early 90s albums, I think under his moniker AFX, which if you don't know Aphex Twin, Richard D. James, he has like 10 different monikers. He which does? He, he has so many. He has so many. I guess um, I only knew about Aphex Twin. Aphex Twin and He's AFX like the Mad are kind of his main. Yeah, like, yeah. Kind of exactly. like Mad Lib a little bit mm -hmm. with all the different pseudonyms, if you yeah, will. Yeah, back in the day he had... Polygon Window, Caustic Window, Gak. Now he has the Tuss. He's got a bunch of other The Tuss like is in Roman Tussin? Same spelling. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Tuss, yeah. T-U-S-S. -S. Uh, I had no idea about this. Wow. Yeah, I remember like he, listening to that, buying it at the Best Buy at the Kingston Mall. Yep. And Elon knows what I'm talking about. I do. I didn't really know what to make of it, but I was listening to that a lot and a bunch of his other 90s albums. This was probably... 2000 or so when i bought that i remember because i got a cd player for my birthday and then i was like well i better use my allowance money to like buy some cds because i don't know what to do with this i was really into the simpsons at the time too and i bought like a simpsons cd and an aphex twin cd and those were my wait those are my first yeah, what was the CDs. simpsons cd was it was it the one where it's like look at all those idiots look at all those fools uh, yeah, that might have been on there it was like random it was like, songs sung like, by uh, simpsons characters it was like music of the simpsons compilation <laughs> it was like that Hilarious. That and uh, Aphex Twin, which is a pretty hilarious combination. My first CD was the Matrix soundtrack, which had like <laughs> okay, all same, like Rob Zombie, era. Deftones, <laughs> like System of a Down. Uh, the same way. I was like, I'm looking back and I'm like, uh huh. I, hmm. <laughs> I think Adam Sandler was the first CD I bought at like 10 with my own. Money. And you still have it. I was still. Oh, absolutely. I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> Polychronopolis, right? Yeah. <laughs> My parents were like, well, Steve okay. motherfucking Polychronopolis. <laughs> and wow. uh, a, a bunch of stuff on there that I don't even think I could uh, do justice. Piece of shit car. Piece of shit yeah, car. Oh my God. Yeah, I definitely that. That'd be so bad. Car. So bad. <laughs> what about you, Martin? What ended up happening with some of those CDs um, that you bought? Did you I, keep them? I, I've kept most of them. We have a closet in my apartment in Brooklyn where I have two container store containers full of CDs from that era, which most of them which I kept. And I, I, you know, I took a bunch 
to a CD shop in the West Village a couple years ago, and I, I remember taking like 30 CDs, and I got like 10 bucks. I was like, all right, this is not worth, not worth the it. time. <laughs> but it was all whatever it was stuff I was going to get rid of anyway. But yeah, most of those, in fact, like those two CDs that I bought in Best Buy, I still have in my closet. And so there's some that I just like couldn't let go. Even though I know I never listen to CDs at all anymore. It's like, this is too much a part of my It's one of those, it's one of those things of. where it's all like, it's not even like a good format to keep your stuff no. on there's not going to become a collector's in the future like oh i doubt this it perfect <laughs> cd yes yeah. it's hilarious because like, my, my buddy has been collecting original super nintendo and like not the remake super <laughs> nintendo like he bought the og <laughs> one like but he had to get the one that was fresh in the package that somebody had held on yeah. to for 30 oh, wow. years that's funny like in the shrink wrap and he's been <laughs> buying the games the same way like in the shrink wrap and the cost is astronomical but wow this game you would rather is, get them new and fresh it right out the box as opposed to someone who had it earlier well you could just go with the technology now on your phone you can download an emulator yeah, you, you can, can get like an every easily. single super nintendo game on your phone mm-hmm. if you want then you don't have the controller and it's not like it's blowing in the cartridge because it doesn't work <laughs> yeah there is something nice about the tactile sensation of holding a Jewel case, which uh, <laughs> Nick and I were talking to him the other night about how yeah. ridiculous that name is. Like, we never thought anything of it back in the day, but now it's like Jewel case. Okay, it's just like this cheap little crappy thing that was made in China that is jewel called case. a Jewel case. You're absolutely right. The jewel case. <laughs> You're more into the analog technology. You still collect tapes on Eight Ball Radio. You have tapes that you showcase every episode that you have, right? Um, Not for every episode, but I've done that for a bunch of the episodes where I focus on one tape. Every once in a while, I will come across one tape that I can't find anything about anywhere else. And I'm just like, wow, I need to share this with the world because this is amazing and beautiful and also kind of a mystery. So yeah, I've done that with a few episodes. Occasionally I'll focus on one artist, but that tends to be a little repetitive. So I'll do one era. The first episode was on like eighties funk that I didn't think was getting like enough popular attention, but is like hugely influential. That was my pilot along with a show just on Frank Zappa. Cause he's got a ton of stuff mm. and he's one of my guitar heroes yeah, it'll usually be uh, focus on one region or one era or one type of music. And then sometimes I'll just focus on one record, which I consider to be a perfect record and talk a little bit about whatever background I know or don't know. I have this one episode from this Mongolian tape that I visited my buddy in uh, Shenzhen, China last year. And we went to this little cassette shop that had a ton of Mongolian tapes for you know, a dollar each or something. And there's this one record which translates to grassland dance music. And it's like this bizarre early 90s Mongolian techno. It's so weird. And it's, but it's awesome. I can't find anything about it. I was able to get some translations because my friend's wife is Chinese Mongolian. So that was really nice to have some insight into what the track titles were. But yeah, so, so a lot of them are a big question mark with some translations but the whole purpose of the show is to showcase what in my opinion doesn't have enough attention your band tobo wasn't even tobo at first correct yeah yeah so it's been going on about five years but it wasn't really called tobo at first kind of a long story but i used to be in this other band called bobby we put one record out on partisan records that's what brought me to new york city 
I moved here in fall 2012. Were you were you um, in Vermont still at that time? I was in Massachusetts, not okay. far from Vermont. And then I was upstate briefly. I was kind of like moving around a little bit. So I moved down here then to continue that project after a brief hiatus. The band didn't really work out. We ended up breaking up the day I moved to New York. But the upside of that project was I met my friend Nate, who was invited out from Portland, Oregon, to join this project. So everyone else kind of left. Or I, I mean, everyone left. The band didn't work out. And then the band um, exploded. But you survived. survived. The band exploded, but we prevailed. <laughs> but yeah, so we kept playing music. Uh, Nate and I are both guitar players. We started writing some songs. We started playing shows. We started calling the band Tobo, which is just a. Uh, How did you um, come up with that um, name? What like? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a. It was the name of a song at first. We wanted to have a band name that was just a sound that was just kind of a meaningless sound. But a sound that had some kind of meaning in your own interpretation um, is just a pleasing sound. And I don't a, know how to explain it. A pleasing, it. otherwise sort of ethereal sound. A f- yes. Tobo. I don't know why it fits, but it, it just fits. Um, and we don't have a whole lot out right now, but we will very soon. We've, we're putting out an EP and an album in 2018. EP is getting mastered now. Album's soon on its way to being mastered. It's all recorded track mixed so it's been a long time coming it started out as a duo and then we gradually added members now it's five members if anyone's curious i'm going to take this opportunity to briefly plug a show that we're playing friday night uh january 26th at mercury lounge hell yeah Um, man it's going to be a really fun show we're opening for this band called quinka from seattle Come check it out soon after that. We think in March, we're still figuring out some promo details. We're going to have an EP out. So stay tuned. They can go to your web, uh, Tobo's website to find out more information about Toboband.com. How is it like being... T-O-E-B-O-W. How is it like being in a collaborative Double. setting as opposed to before when you were making music on your own? You've come a long way from being sort of the shut-in, and now you are branched out. That's exactly right. It's very different. I think I've changed a lot as a musician over the years. It's great collaborating with people. I had a pretty common problem in the past of not being able to finish songs. There's a few tracks that I pointed out to you that are more fleshed out and complete. A lot of the tracks that I was making back in 2001 to 2003 are just really short little loops. And I would make a new loop almost every day, occasionally flesh one out to like three to five minutes. Most of them are just like little ideas, little sketches, which I hope to someday kind of go back into those and flesh them out and take a modern approach to some of like the original stuff I was doing 15 years ago now. It's crazy. But... um. But yeah, I, I, I guess to answer your question, that what I love the most about playing with a band and working with other people is I'm good at finishing other people's songs, and I love creating songs for other people to finish. And just, yeah, just trading ideas. Just, so you're like you know, a big collaborator, which the, is always awesome. Yeah. Okay. I have mixed feelings about the word jam, but <laughs> um, I love to jam. What and about jelly? How do you feel about that? I love jelly, <laughs> too, <laughs> on my toast. <laughs> you, That's you, a separate issue. You don't get jelly about people who have successful jams? 
Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I don't. can't believe this. Uh, what about Bombalade? I can't tell if that's a serious question. But, uh, oh, 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 did you come it to this? A lot of asking you seriously. Did, did you? I mean, that's the problem. Is that <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to ask you a serious question and then I'll just riff on something that you, oh, the two great. of you will say, and then all of a sudden everything's just thrown out and we're in crazy town. <laughs> it's all good. That's super important to me, the arts, is collaboration in that style because it also shows like. You know what you like, but your ability to learn how to grow and work with other people. And I think that you evolve as an artist because of that and like learn yeah. a lot more. Yeah, you, you learn about how you work. You learn about how to listen to other people. You learn a lot about how to tame your ego. I mean, if you are a good listener, mm -hmm. good musicians, I think, learn how to listen to an idea that you might think is not good or weird and just let it sink in and you know maybe it'll work maybe it won't but learning how to listen is is a huge part of being in a band it sounds so simple and cliche what about uh like <laughs> i don't know it wasn't mozart was you know who was, who was, the, who was the deaf one beethoven? <laughs> beethoven beethoven right so no one of these guys is deaf he's a terrible listener <laughs> um, <laughs> well <laughs> well i'm just i mean you know he collaborated with, with plenty of people without that skill um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's <laughs> Who's true. Who's to say? He felt the music. He felt it. He felt it. He felt Vibrations, it. Well, you know man. what? I had a friend of mine who was deaf, and she loved, absolutely loved music. She loved to dance. Huh. And I asked her, but she never could hear before. And she said, yeah, every different type of music has a different vibration. And I can feel the different vibrations, and there are vibrations that I can tell are dance vibrations, and I, you want to dance to the vibration. That's why she liked going to like dance halls and stuff where loud music, so she could really feel the music. Huh, that's cool. Isn't that yeah. cool? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, no, when I've heard that, like, you know, when, when one of your senses is impaired, you, you notice all these other things that you wouldn't normally. Oh, you yeah. said well, had a friend. <laughs> I'm just saying. It was of the past. I dated her, that's why. Oh, oh for real? okay. That's what I wanted to know. I wanted yeah. to know if, like, you know, I met what her. Happened? I met her on the dance floor, and I dated her, and then she <laughs> didn't dig me. <laughs> it was that it was just you know the nature of that. <laughs> you guys all stopped and looked at me when I was like, "You said had," and it was like five seconds of really awkward silence. <laughs> this is for another time. It's a great radio call out session. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to break, I did want to bring up that uh, you were under a different moniker for your electronic music, of which you were mentioning before, made on the computer, and it was oh, yeah. Martonymous? Martonymous. Martonymous. Yes. That's great. As in <laughs> autonomous. As soon as I started playing instruments, I, I've been into the idea of collaborating, but I also have always been into the idea of being autonomous and doing something all yourself and being completely self-reliant and back when I was writing these tracks I didn't really have a name for it because I wasn't really posting them anywhere did I you wasn't... hate titling your songs I did actually and a lot of the ones that aren't on that page that I sent you are like lamp or like <laughs> you know like rainy or something like it's just like Naming it whatever, or it's just yeah. like new song number Dude, three. It's like, no different than <laughs> when you are writing poetry and you're just writing the poem and then you have to come up with a title. I had to do that in college. Like, I had to create titles for my uh, portfolio and I hated that. Like, the fact that I actually had to force to put some label on something that didn't need it, it doesn't sit right with me. But I have a question, yeah. though, for, uh, for Alana and Allison. 
Because I like the name Martonymous, and I was wondering if you had, did you ever have like any names that you used in creative capacity that were a play on your own name and a word? Well, I guess I could have been Alonymous. No, did you have one <laughs> any, at any time growing up, like ever, did you use one? Uh, I had one that I used before for like one specific thing, and it reminded me a- of it. I hadn't thought about it in years. What, 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 what was it? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's when, why when I'm giving I, you the yeah, eyes. When I, uh, <laughs> nobody can hear. It's so funny because I only see your eyes over the top of the computer. Likewise. I, um, we'll work on it. Dum, dum, dum. Um, yeah, when I used to do pictures, and then the, I used to do cartoons, and there was a point in which friends of mine would not like commission me. We were at school, but they were like, hey, can you draw me like a goblin? And I'd be like, <laughs> sure, whatever. And then I wanted to like, someone was like, sign it. And I was like... I don't care. It's just I'm just a little doodle I'm doing for you. They're like, no. And I was like, all right. And I just wrote a jimage underneath it. <laughs> and I just thought it was like hilarious. I was like, yeah, and it's not. It's a jimage. <laughs> there you go. That's amazing. And you, Allison? I'm giving you eyes that can't be heard. Yeah. Uh, mine was Ollie G, and then Ollie G stole it. So that's awesome. Uh, is it awesome? Uh, it was a great and i'm a comedian so he literally stole everything <laughs> and he's a man fuck him well this is well uh, this is what happens you know um Jeez. how old were you when you found out that he existed as well i wanted ollie g when i was like 15 and i love ollie g so i don't know how old i was when i figured out he tw- 20 maybe did you go by the same spelling too with a Y. No, mine was just the Y. It was Ali G. My, uh, okay, it could be Ali G. I can't remember. No. Yeah. I can't remember if I had anything in particular that uh, stood out. I know that when I wrote my name down or when I was doodling, I would draw a lowercase e and then just do spirals and spirals and spirals. So my <laughs> E was just this big zone looking thing, kind of going back into the whole Danziger zone trope. But I didn't really have any nicknames. I was a lawn. E3, dude. E3, right. <laughs> but you, but you, From the Poughkeepsie Day School basketball team. No, you could totally do you could totally do Ali G. You know why? Because no. like what about ASAP Rocky, right? ASAP Rock already existed. And, and then ASAP like, Rocky and then ASAP Ferg. That's what I'm saying. Like it's it's I don't understand. I, that when whole... I first heard that, I was like, are they did they just have his name did, wrong? Did, did, like, they, yeah, did they know? Like, don't this? they know ASAP Rocky? Yeah, he's a baller musician, you know. And then they're like, No, it's this other guy. And I was like, Oh, Oh. <laughs> Maybe this is the, this is the popular you... one. <laughs> I really also want now Alon to read his poetry over all of your old school shit, all of your old loops from when you were like thirteen. That, or 15. Well, we'll have to make that happen. Really, and we can name those Ali G because I have the idea. <laughs> fruity loops, yeah. Fruity loops. When we come back, we will dive into all of the old Martonymous material. This is Lost and Rewound Radio Free Brooklyn. If you remember to go out on a Monday night, because sometimes people don't want to go out on a Monday night, the 18th, we will be at the Footlight in Ridgewood at 465 Seneca Avenue hosting a Lost in Rebound showcase. This is official. We're going to be having a lot of our past guests there performing. Uh, Lindsey Freeman, for sure. Robin Irene Moss. Axel Ito is slated to perform, as well awesome. as Matt Finch and Siobhan Fogarty. And David Piccolomini, David Lawson, Amber Dre, and Sam Rose will all be there to tell some fun stories. So it's going to be a stacked lineup, 7 p.m., December 18th in Ridgewood at the Footlight. $5 suggested donation. Welcome back. We're here with Martin Zimmerman. Hello. And Allison Goodman. Hello. And Judy Hoffman. Hello. I'm Alon, 
And uh, <laughs> if you... <laughs> Can you speak for me for the rest of this program? Please. I'll just prompt you to be a text. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a good time this week. Uh, if you want to contribute any of your old audio to our show, do not hesitate. Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. If you want to hear any of our old episodes, go to LostAndRewound.Podomatic.com. And we are also on SoundCloud and iTunes. For now, right now, at this very moment, you're about to get transported into the world of early arts Macintosh. You're about to get yeah. transported into the world of terrible accents. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Giant Eel? Is this Giant Eel. Um, so this is one of the first kind of real extended songs that I developed out of this material. I don't know how many of you listening are familiar with the show Iron Chef. Uh-huh. But, yeah. um, we were what was, huge, the secret, what was the secret ingredient? Giant eel. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's anyway, just, that's um, about as good as it gets. I don't want to say anything else about this song other than I don't have the vocabulary to describe this. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Perfect. Thank you. 
first time trying Giant Eel. I thought it was going to be really greasy, but I was totally wrong. I <laughs> was sweet. <laughs> I like that. I so dig that a lot. Giant Eel. Giant yeah. Eel. Morimoto's got his restaurant on. Uh, oh, that's right. On yeah. what's it like Tenth Avenue and Six Fifteenth Street or something like that in the city. So by Chelsea Market. Two thousand and three. You're putting this song out, and you're in middle school. This is eighth grade, I think. That's phenomenal. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like, you can't fuck with that, man. That's like when you're that young for real, like making music that sophisticated. That speaks volumes. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of. Um, there's a track that MF Doom does off the album Food, mm, yeah, and yeah, uh, it's a phenomenal album. Yeah. And there's, a, and there's, I can't remember which track it is, but there's one where he just samples a cooking show, right? And it's yeah. just talking about making a rap, yeah. And it's because he's a rapper, so it's just like you know, you know, the rap has to come out the right way. It was the same way. It's that, I think that's the perfect use of sampling is <laughs> taking you. something that is completely disconnected, but using it for your own devices and finding the funny in that. Yeah, you know, yeah. No, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. It's not just Iron Chef samples. There's a Chuck Norris sample in there. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's real close to the punch. And then yeah. he's like, yeah, just like you do it in the martial arts. <laughs> and like juxtaposing that with, you know, Morimoto and the challenger sweating over giant eel in Kitchen Stadium is like just kind of hilarious. No, it's and uh, and then And then the like, I'll go tell my mom and dad is from some PBS children's show. I don't remember <laughs> what, the awesome. sa- what the sample source is on that. Have you actually eaten giant eel? Um... You know? Or have you had anything that you've ever I, seen on Iron Chef and you're I, like, I, I know, have to try that. Now that I think about it, I think that track is the only giant eel I've actually tried. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, I never had yeah. giant eel. I don't, I don't think I have it's either. It's not something you really see on the menu. Never so had much. eel. Never had, Never eel had eel. At all? Oh, yeah. eel's good. It's good. I, I, yeah. I eat eel semi frequently. It's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, giant eel. You know, I, you know I, how I'm easy that it's to find in the states. Yeah, I mean, I know I see it all the time on the sushi menus. The problem is that my wife does not eat raw fish, so sushi does not get eaten well, on the regular. Well, eel is cooked. Gotcha. Sure, though, seafood. And in general, going to sushi restaurants in general, because there's plenty of non-raw fish sushi rolls that you can get. But that does not uh, matter. I, want, I, I do not get to say. I want to look it up because <laughs> so I, go, I, I heard this fact somewhere. On that, my own. <laughs> that Japan consumes something like, aside from that that big number of like how much of the, the world's fish they consume, like of the world's eel, they eat like half of the world's eel I'm or sure. something like that. You know. I'd be surprised. My my dad is an eel fiend. He's always like, "Go to that eel, yo! Where that eel at?" <laughs> Anytime I go to the sushi place, he's like, "What about the eel? That sauce." <laughs> It's good to see, dude. You got to expand your horizons. I feel like I have in general with food, but it's a completely different thing. It's a unique taste. It's it a, unique is a unique taste. taste. Yeah. Like, I haven't had sea urchin. Oh, I had sea uh, urchin. I did. It was like, <laughs> I wasn't like super impressed. I lived in London and I lived in a bar after I graduated college. And my owner would, every two weeks, we have to clear all the lines of the beer. So we'd stay up all night and drink like 50 pints between like five of us. And he'd always bring an interesting food. And once we had so, urchin. Would you consider yourself an Epicurean individual? Um, yes. And the, the way that you put that as well, would you also consider yourself a slave? What? Huh? You said my owner. 
Oh. I didn't get right you away caught. that he's oh. the restaurant owner. <laughs> I was like, who owns her? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> she was my friend. <laughs> my owner, he, he used to bring us delights. All right. At the end of the night, <laughs> oh, we could drink booze to our heart's content, but then it was back to the mines. <laughs> so, in, oh, in, right. in, oh, right. in eighth grade, Martin Zimmerman was watching Iron Chef and Walker, Texas Ranger, and making these beats. A year earlier in the summer of 02, which was when I was actually living in New York City for the very first time as an intern in Hell's Kitchen, Um, you made this track because that was the only uh, name you could come up with the track was June, summer 2002? Um, Yeah, so this track is, I remember summer 2002 is probably the most prolific time ever for me with music. I was Mm. just like cranking stuff out. It was a very antisocial summer. But oh. I got a lot done, and this is kind of like the initiation of summer, but it's also just a time when I was beginning to take music more seriously for the first time in my life, and it's very nostalgic for me. It's a little more serious, even though there's no vocals, but it's kind of a bittersweet, something slightly melancholy about this one. It's uh, dear to my heart. Very sample heavy based. I had friends in childhood, and I can't play my childhood friendships on the radio. <laughs> I don't have a lot to show for it. It's not like it's like a uh, you know a sweet photo book. I can go like oh uh, yeah uh, oh but, yeah no. We're but not, we got at least anymore. we got the sweet sounds. June eleventh dash summer. In parentheses two thousand and two. Yep. Hyphen. The sweetest. The sweetest.
gorgeous. Mm. So I was going to say, when you were doing this, what was, do you remember, like, what was the most popular music that people were listening to, like, in your peer group? Not necessarily Uh, your friends who were cool and were listening to good music. I'm talking about people who were around your age, like, at school. Like, what was the prevailing music that people were listening to when you were doing this? 2002, I was not paying attention. What year did you graduate high school? 2006. Oh, so we're the exact same age. Okay. I was not paying attention, <laughs> uh, which might sound a little weird, but yeah, I was kind of just doing my own thing. Because I, at that time, was into, well, now I re- regret, I was really into new metal. I really like really new metal, and then and that was in middle school, the same time you were doing this. Yeah, yeah. so like Blink-182, I remember yeah. my, my friends yeah, were really say. into them. Yeah. Because then, and then right, and then when I gra- when I graduated and I went to high school, it would have been two thousand and three. I started getting into like alternative rock. I was really into like Strokes and like the, high, yeah. like the Hives and like Franz yeah, Ferdinand right, and stuff right. like so, that. So yeah, Strokes, Franz Ferdinand, all that early two thousand yeah. stuff. Um, but I'm just trying to place what was the musical climate like at the time. And here was this kid. Yeah, that's, making... what that's why because because I'm saying I feel like it's a, it's an impressive leap the same way for you to be doing this sort of thing at the time. Yeah, I, I mean it's good that we played a track that was so ambitious like the the giant eel track, and then you playing something that was made a year earlier, which uh, resonates with just the same kind of feel that you're getting from the track prior. I'm looking at the screen. And I'm editing constantly these shows. So the waves are going up and they're going down. There's spikes. There's little decreases. One thing I find this notable about this track is that all the audio in the parts towards the end and then like one part towards the middle before the little finale there is all of the waves are below the line. Hmm. And I don't know what that means, but hmm, yeah, perhaps... I I think you know, it might be. You're, looking, um, you're, you're seeing it right here too. It might right? be like this something I didn't really mention earlier is like I was really into synth programming, like digital synth programming back then. Like Reason had some really great, very intuitive digital synths, which were supposed to mimic analog synths. A lot of those sounds, those bass sounds and the highs, are the same synth. I was kind of getting into that around the time that I programmed this. It's a lot of that one sound, so maybe that's what it is. I wasn't thinking about the waveform. I also had a common issue in a lot of these songs. Like, I didn't really think too much about bass lines. So, like, a lot of the bass parts were these kind of, like, long... Like, a little later on, I started learn more about the value of well, use of and bass. Again, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how, how key it is, right? Yeah, that was yeah. so important. When you're a kid, you don't place value as much in the rhythm and the structure of a song as you do for what excites you about music. Right. So like, yeah. That's why people learn guitar more often yeah. than they do bass because you right. don't see how that's the driving force behind the song and yeah, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I definitely gravitate more towards melody. Some of my favorite songs I've listened to hundreds of times, I still can't remember the lyrics, but I can remember every little melody so it's just like maybe just the way my brain works what was the sample that was there i think it might have been mr rogers it was mm. like uh, there's a lot of pbs samples back then that's like it's a creepy show i can wish Love for anything <laughs> yeah, he used um, to sing and it was, it was yeah, like, i forgot about it. he used to sing and it was weird that was, oh, it was like some weird part of the show where they were like in this weird puppet world. he would go into this other world um, 
and he would yeah. hang out with these puppets. Right, and then he would right, go back right. to his house. So yeah, the sample. And there was a train track right. that he would like talk to somebody that was on a train at one yeah. point. And they'd like and he, stop the train next to him and they were a puppet and he'd like he talk had to two him. different types of shoes. One's for outside and one's for inside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I do remember him putting on like his shoes to go out and then he'd go to the cartoon world. Yeah. And he'd like hang out there. Yeah, right. different shoes for the cartoon world. Or yeah, it was pu- <laughs> but it was the puppet world. It was the puppet world, you're right. Right. There was something about it because I watched that show a lot when I was young. I definitely remember seeing it a lot. And there was something that was very like warm and wholesome about that guy. But now yeah. it's the weirdest and it's creepiest weird. thing in the yeah. world. <laughs> Actually, didn't um, the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood get interpolated, interpolated with the Crimebeck song? I believe that Nick used that sample for that. Oh, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I Mr. Rogers Neighborhood is just showing up in the Zimmerman yeah. music catalog. <laughs> yeah, um, sure yeah. so what's up with 10 of 1? Uh, so this is a shorter, sort of somber one. This is the only one from this era that really incorporated guitar. This is like right after I started taking guitar lessons. Oh, nice. So, um, so we get a little bit of yeah. early Martin guitar work. Here. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I was just like, oh, I have this guitar yeah. that I was borrowing from my neighbor and experimenting with the noises it could make. Interesting. Very somber, as you said. Yes. This is before you could record directly into Reason, the program I was using. So I had to yeah. take individual samples and then plot them out. Um, so it's kind of a weird process. I like came up with this guitar part and then arranged everything else around it. I also had a mini disc recorder. Uh, who Did remembers you? mini discs? But, oh man! Um, I was super into mini discs at this time. Just that a, statement. You're, you you were super <laughs> into mini. It's like wait, mini disc. <laughs> it was just like pre Zoom recorder and 
but when condenser mics were like extremely expensive, I mean, they still are, but we take it in stride that, you know, you can just like get a zoom recorder or it's just a lot easier to record high quality audio now. But back then I was using a mini disc recorder and a mini disc mic and uh, <laughs> I took awesome. some ambient recordings of um, the, the cars passing by on route nine in Rhinebeck and uh, just me like walking around in the rain. That's the background. For a second, I thought you were going to say I took Ambien. I, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I took Ambien. Then, then, awesome. then I got Ambient noise <laughs> uh, of me on Ambien. <laughs> cool. It is a very pretty number, and the ambiance that you were creating there really puts you there right in that exact environment that you were intending for it to be. That was like soon after I got that recorder and the mic and like walking around the rain, I was like, oh, wow, this sounds amazing. This is like the first time I was ever using like a decent condenser mic before. Even on Giant Eel, I was using a Apple, like an old Mac mic recording the TV. So it was like pretty crappy quality, but yeah, you know, made it work. What's this next track we're going to be hearing? Red Den Show. I chose this one because it's kind of like the audio quality was starting to get a little better. I remember reading an interview with Aphex Twin around this time about how he would sometimes spend months just figuring out the right sound or like finding the right snare sound or something. I really took that to heart. I would just record little sounds around the house, like hitting a fan or, you know, hitting the bathroom sink and then record it and then input that into Reason. So keep that in mind, I guess.
you got lost. Well, you I got, like to look close my eyes when I listen. I, I like to close no, my eyes when I listen to music. You were doing it this whole time because a lot of what Martin has here has, is very it transports you. And I don't know where it was transporting me there, but I was on the set of the Window Liquor music video and just like <laughs> very uh, astute observation. Yes, that was totally what was influencing me for real. Yeah, no, that, no doubt. Yeah, that video I can't even watch it with a straight face. Yeah, so I at the Chris same Cunningham. time I remember I had this is this will really date the times again pre YouTube I had the video the extended video for Window Liquor on my hard drive. <laughs> That I downloaded <laughs> from LimeWire. Yes, yeah, LimeWire, Lime man. And I remember it took a day to download. I remember um, downloading stuff on LimeWire and feeling like a G. Like, I'm ahead of the curve. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Napster's dead, Same. but we're going to keep this rolling. <laughs> <laughs> this only scratches the surface. You've got all this up on your Martonymous Bandcamp. It's just endless. There's just over almost 100 tracks, it seems There's like a lot, awesome. and there's a lot more. And you know, as I said earlier, I want to kind of like flesh some more of it out. I documented a lot of this on a tape in 2000. 2010 when I wasn't sure where I had these backed up. This style kind of culminated in this full-length album that I put out in 2009 called Epiphone Drones and Casio Tones. I was always dreaming of synthesizing the electronic side of my music and the guitar side, and then I tried to do that with this project. I put it up for a little while, and I got really paranoid about copyright infringement, so I took it down. And I'm thinking about remixing it and doing like a 10th anniversary album and like actually printing it to vinyl don't hesitate to let us know when more plans are fleshed out about that uh, we got to get out of here you got to plug your website one more time toboband.com right uh, yeah toboband.com t-o-e-b-o-w like the toe on your foot and the bow of a bow and arrow <laughs> uh. or a bow on a present Yes. And we play in New York pretty regularly. We've got a couple of releases coming out in 2018. And then if you want to hear more of this stuff, go to Martonomous, M-A-R-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S dot bandcamp dot com. I've got a few odds and ends up there. And check out the Tape Vault series. That's what these are from. 2001, 2006 is the Tape Vault edition of this high school era I'll probably be uploading more periodically to that site. So check that out. You have a lot of music that you uh, can listen back to to educate you and make sure that you don't forget certain styles that got you to where you are. That's my way of tying the bow on the toe. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Are you waiting all episode to say that? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. We're Lost and Rewound. My name is Alon. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Allison. You will hear us all next week for another edition of Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn.
Ew, creepy. And laugh in his room when he edits the show. When he edits the show butt naked. <laughs> Long if you really do edit the show butt naked, don't ever tell us. <laughs> mm, you don't. <laughs> just, just, 